Uh, we're supposed to have a missionary tonight. Uh, Ernie Peacock was supposed to be here tonight, missionary to Guadalajara, and he was supposed to be here tonight. And uh, his wife had an issue overnight that they thought might be a stroke. And so he called this morning. Well, he actually called about 9. I was on my way to a funeral, not mine, somebody else's. But uh, I was on my way there, and uh, he called me and said, Hey, I, I hate to tell you this, but I'm not going to be there tonight. And I said, Well, I, I was kind of counting on you being here. <laughs> and anyway, he, he, didn't, he didn't make it. So, uh, but they did check his wife out, and they discovered that, that she, they don't think she had a stroke. Um, they don't really know what it was, but it, whatever it was, it went through her system, and she seems to be fine. And, and somehow I just think the prayer we had before she went in may have helped a little bit. So, uh, but we're thankful for that. So anyway, I came up here today about 12.30 or so and went in my office and just asked the Lord, what would you like for us to talk about tonight since I hadn't really thought about it uh, too much. And so uh, the Lord said, well, why don't you just, um, why, don't, why don't you just uh, do the Bible study that I gave you a couple of months ago? So that's what we're going to do tonight. You're going to you're going to do one of my personal Bible studies tonight. So I hope you enjoy it. You're the lucky winner. <laughs> so as we're getting started tonight, uh, by the way, I don't have a watch. Um, when it gets to be about eight fifteen, would you tell me? All right, eight fifteen. All right, what time is it? Eight <laughs> fifteen. <laughs> 7.51, okay, good, I got enough time, all right, so as we're uh, beginning tonight, anybody have a praise report, yes ma'am, do what, really, Well, Brother John told me he'd, ha he'd had 30 great years of marriage. I didn't know what he was talking about. <laughs> well, congratulations on 50, 50 years of, of matrimony. That's wonderful. Praise God. Congratulations. Anybody else have a uh, testimony? Who's, who's over here? Go ahead. Amen. <laughs> well, it was a cold Sunday morning. Praise God. Amen. Misty? Amen. 
Amen. Amen. Amen. If you've never heard, if you've never heard Chad Burns' testimony of how he got saved, you ought to ask him about it. I'm not going to steal his thunder. But it's a it's a very it's a very interesting it's a very interesting story of how he got saved. And if you've never heard it, you ought to sit down with him. Take him to lunch sometime this Sunday. They came and missed it to get a steak. And uh, let him tell you about how he got saved. It's a great, it's a great testimony. Great testimony. So tonight, if you would turn with me to Jeremiah 17, 10 and 11, 9 and 10, we're going we're gonna to talk about a Bible study that I, my, this is a personal Bible study that I, I did on my own. The way this happens with me, um, every year I try to read the Bible through, and as I'm reading, uh, a lot of times the Holy Spirit will illuminate a scripture, um, cause something to catch my attention. Uh, sometimes just a phrase that I can't get out of my mind. In this case, it's a phrase I couldn't get out of my mind. And, uh, and from that, then I start trying to dig and understand what the Holy Spirit wants me to get out of this. So um, I did look these verses up in several different translations today. So if you've got a King James or a New King James, this Bible study is going to make good sense because, of the, because the words stay the same pretty much. In the King James, it's heart and reigns. In the New King James, it's heart and mind. If you've got an, anything else, it's, it, it might not make as much sense. It's the same word in the original language, but the translated word's a little bit different in some of these scriptures. So um, here's how it started with me. I was reading Jeremiah 17, and I came across this verse, 9 and 10, which says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked who can know it. The Lord searches the heart, I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. And the things that caught my attention in those two verses was the word heart and the word reins. Those are the two words that I started with. And so as I researched this, I found out that the word heart is the word L-E-V, lev, which means the totality of a man's inner or in immaterial nature, the seed of understanding, the seed of knowledge, the seed of emotion, the seed of thought, or the seed of will. Now you know this because you we'll say things like, "Well, my heart, my heart just, I, my heart's not in it," or we'll say that God's changing my heart. You'll you'll say things like that, and that's what you're talking about. You're talking about that inner man, the immaterial. The, the inner nature of a man, the seat of understanding, the seat of knowledge, emotion, thought, or will, the spirit of man. That's, that's sometimes what we call it, the spirit man. It's that, it's that part of you that's on the inside of you that, that helps you go directions, helps you know what to do, that communes with God, that listens. It's that part of you. So that's what the heart is. And so the other word is the reins, and that's kilia. I guess that's how you say it. Nobody in here is Hebrew, so you don't know if I said it right or not. And I know I did because I just said it. So the mind is, it is, this is an interesting one. It's the mind or the interior self as expressed in knowledge, joy, pain, or pleasure. It's the means of restraint of natural impulses and affections. That, that is from the pulpit commentary. The theological word book says this. It's, the term refers to the twin organs in the lower back which filters impurity from the blood. Anybody know what those are called? Kidneys. The word actually means kidneys. Um, 
When used figuratively, which this obviously is, when used figuratively, the term refers to the restraint of the innermost aspects of the personality. So what we're talking about is the spirit of man, the, the, the very inner portion of you, the very deepest part of you, we're talking about that, and we're talking about the reins. Anybody ride a horse? You know what the reins are for, right? It's, it's, to, it's to keep that horse in check. It's to give him commands. It's to let him know what you want him to do. And so the reins, that's what it is in this case too. It's the restraint of the innermost aspect of the personality. So um, this is from Matthew Henry's commentary. It says, The Lord searches the hearts, the heart, all the thoughts of it, all the intents of it, the closest and the closest and those that are most awfully disguised. He not only searches the the uh, heart, that's supposed to be heart, not pert, heart with a piercing eye, but he tries the reins to pass judgment upon what he discovers to give everything its true character and weight. So when you go to do a good deed, let's say you're going to go and cut somebody's grass and you're, you're, you feel like that's what you want to do, you want to bless them, you want to help them, and so you're headed over there to cut the grass. The Lord looks upon that act that you're doing, and he not only looks upon the act, but he goes one step deeper to look upon the motive of why you're going. Are you going to give glory to God? Are you going in hopes that they'll offer you 20 bucks for cutting the grass? Why are you going? And the, the reins are that, that's what the reins are. The reins are the, the, the determination of the motive. That's what God does. If we go with impure motives, then the reins begin to pull back on us, right? To let us know that we are going with the wrong concept, with the wrong thought, with the wrong action. That's what the reins do. The heart gives us a direction and the reins check the motive. Does that, does that make sense? So if you're going to do a, if, if, if you're going to give somebody a glass of cold water, the Bible says if you do it with the right motive, you have a reward. But if you give somebody a million dollars so you can get your picture on the front of the Pentecostal Evangel, which I don't know what that is, but anyway, on, on, on the magazine cover, then the Bible says, according to that, the Bible says that's, that's worthless. You get nothing for that. You say, well, I gave somebody a million dollars. They named a wing of the church in, in my honor. Well, that, that's all you get. Enjoy it because it's staying here when you leave because you did it with the wrong motive. Now, how do you know you did it with the wrong motive? Reigns. Reigns. So the Lord not only looks upon the heart, looks upon what you're doing, looks upon how you react to the things that the Spirit gives you to do, but He also checks the motive and uses reins to make sure that your motive is correct. Does that make sense? Okay, so I decided as I was doing this Bible study, I said, I wonder if heart and reins ends up anywhere else in the Bible. So let's go and look at some places where the words heart and the word reins in the same word, in the same context is used. So let's go to uh, Psalms 7, 9. Psalms 7, 9. Psalm 7, 9 says this, O let the wickedness of the wicked ones come to an end, but establish the just, for the righteous God tries the hearts and reigns. So what is the difference between the wickedness of the wicked 
and the establishment of the just. What's the difference? Can a wicked man and a just man do the same act? Can they do the same act? Can, they, can, a, can a wicked man and a just man both put $100 in this offering tonight? Can they both do it? It's not for the same reason. What makes the wicked wicked? The motive. Is that right? It's the motive. It's why he did it. The act could be right. He could have felt the, the presence of the Lord that said, hey, I want you to put $100 in the offering. He could have, above your ties. He could have felt that. But why did he do it? That's, that's what God checks. And then the reins pull back. So the, wicked, the difference between the wickedness of the wicked one and the establishment of the just is the heart and the motive and whether or not we let God control that motive. Okay, let's look at another place. Psalms 26.2. Am I going too fast? Okay. Psalms 26.2. It starts out by saying, Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord, therefore I shall not slide. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. How does the Lord do that? Try my, try my reins and heart. Examine me, Lord, and prove me. How does he do that? He tries the reins and the heart. He sees what you're doing, and he sees why you're doing it. And that's how he examines us, and that's how he proves us, is whether or not we're, we're doing what he asks us to do with the, with, the, with the right motive, or if the motive's wrong, can we adjust as he pulls the reins? You know, there's the, the, the worst sin there is in the Bible is called a transgression. And a transgression is considered, when, when, Adam, when Eve sinned, that was not a transgression. She did it in ignorance. But when Adam sinned, he knowingly, willingly did it. And that's the worst because then you, you reject God. You take what God has said and you reject it and you choose the devil. You knew it. You know what you're doing. You're doing it with your eyes wide open. You, you, have, you, have, you, you know better than to do it. You know not to do it. And yet you reject the, the voice of God and you choose the devil. And, and when you do that, then you're in a, you're in a different place. You're in, a, you're in a place of trespass. You're in a place of transgressing. And there's, there's two modes of that. One of them is the sin of omission. And the sin of omission is knowing what to do, but not doing it well. Knowing what to do, but not doing it well. The other is, is the sin where you know what to do and you don't do it. There's the sin of omission and there's sins of commission. That's what it is. Commission is knowing what to do and not doing it. Omission is knowing what to do and not doing it well. And whenever you begin to make those kind of moves in the Lord, when you begin to make those moves, you're going to start feeling the reins of God start pulling back on you. You're going to you may call it a conscience. You're going to start feeling that. That's the reins of God. As he's checked the motive, he's checked the heart, he sees what you're doing, and he begins to try to steer you another direction, just like you would a horse. If you were coming up on something you didn't want the horse to go through, what would you do? You would try to pull. What if he kept his head forward? Then what would you do? What would you do next? If the horse, if you're pulling on the horse to try to get him to go right and he won't go, what would you do next? You would grab that rein on the right and you would pull it with both hands and try to jerk his head around, wouldn't you? 
Am I wrong? I mean, I've never, I'm, I'm not much of a horse rider because they bite. I don't ride anything that bites. So, huh? That's, that's right. So that's what you do. You, you pull harder. And then if he still won't move, then what do you do? You whip him with that thing, right? Don't, and that what you, you shoot him. You don't shoot him. You know how much them horses cost? <laughs> I think what you do, and, and some of you that ride horses can tell me, but I think if you've got him pulled over by the reins and he's got his head over and he won't listen, I think, I think you probably whip him with that rein and put a, put a lash across his backside. To try to, what are you trying to do? You're trying to get his attention. I'm telling you to turn right. And that's what you do with a horse. That's reins, right? Boy, I'm glad y'all are agreeing with me because I don't know what I'm talking about. But anyway, I do in here, but I don't know with a horse. So, thank you. So let's, so, let's look at another place here. Let's look at Psalms 73. Yeah. Dirt bikes aren't near as difficult, are they? <laughs> they don't have a mind of their own. 73, 21 and 22. It says, Thus was my heart grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant, I was as a beast before thee. So, once again, we have the reins. We have the, 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 uh, the, the, the feel, the power, the, the, the annoyance of those reins being moved in order for the Lord to try to get us to change our motive or change direction. So let's, let's, uh, let's just put a, I love it when the Bible interprets the Bible. It's really the best way you should do it. So let's go over to Hebrews. I told you this is one of my Bible studies. So let's go over to Hebrews and let's, let's look at a verse that seems kind of a little spurious, but it, 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 I think it fits. Hebrews chapter 4. We're talking about hearts and we're talking about reins. The innermost being of man is the heart, the seat of understanding, knowledge, emotions, thought, or will. That's the heart. And the reins are the motives. And the, the, the reins are the, or the, the uh, what do I call them here? The um, restraint of the innermost aspects of the personality. That is the reins. So let's look here at Hebrews 4, verse 12. It says, For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and is a, what does yours say? What does that mean? Discerner. What does it mean? What does it mean to discern? Do what now? Able to judge, able to know the intents. He's a discerner. In that, in that reigns, discerning, knowing what, what, what intent you're doing this for, knowing what's going on. He's a discerner of the thoughts and intent of the heart. So of the thoughts and the intent of the heart. The intent of the heart is part of that motive that the reins work to control. So the Word of God can be something that as we read the Word, study the Word, quote the Word, listen to the Word, that helps us determine our motives and also helps us to know the reins. This book says, Thou shalt not kill. I don't care if they need killing. It says, thou shalt not kill, right? So if you want to kill somebody, what does the reins say? Thou shalt not. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It says, thou shalt not covet. If, if your neighbor's got a nicer dirt bike than you, you shouldn't go over there and say, man, I sure would like to have that dirt bike. 
Man, that's a nice one. I wish I had that one. You, you, that's, and, and whenever you start thinking those thoughts, what should happen? Those reins should start pulling back. Why? Because your motives aren't right. Your motives aren't right. You're coveting. So, you kind of, we're kind of getting, this is, y'all look, y'all acting like this ain't nothing to this, and I spent hours on this. Okay, 1 Samuel 24. <laughs> I got this. What else you want to do, bro? 1 Samuel 24. Let's, let's look at some examples here. I always like examples. What time is it? Huh? Wow. Okay. Got to go faster here. 8.10. I mean, uh, no, 1 Samuel 24, 1 through 7. Okay, I want, you to, I want you to listen to the heart, and I want you to spot the rain. Okay? We're going to listen to the heart, and we're going to spot the rain. And it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines that it was called him, saying, Behold, David's in the wilderness and in Gedi. And Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheep coats by the way, and there was a cave, and Saul went in to cover his feet. And David and his men, David and his men remained in the sides of the cave. And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day which the Lord has said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thy hand, that thou mayest do it as it shall seem good to thee. So David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privily. And it came to pass afterwards that David's heart smote him, because he had cut off Saul's skirt. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth my hand against him, seeing that he is anointed of the Lord. So David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. So what, is, what was the heart of David? What did he want to do to Saul? He wanted to kill him. But he didn't, so he said what? I'll just cut his skirt off. But what was the intent of his heart when he cut that skirt off? He wanted to kill him, yeah. He wanted, he, everybody said, hey, the Lord's delivered him into your hand. Here it is, buddy. Here's your big chance. Run him through. And David said, oh, I probably shouldn't do that, but I will cut his skirt off. And as soon as, he, as soon as he cut that skirt, as soon as he got done with it, what happened to his heart? It smote him. What is that? Rains. See, David said, oh, I'm just, I just cut his skirt off. It was innocent. I just cut his skirt off. But the Lord judged that heart. And that heart said, if I could, I'd kill him. But I can't, so I'm just going to cut his skirt. And then the reins pulled back. And David's heart smote him. See how that works? Okay, let's look at another place. A bunch of Bible scholars in here tonight. John chapter 18. John chapter 18. I am, in, I am really enjoying this. I hope y'all are enjoying this. John chapter 18. This is Jesus. He's been arrested. Now they bring him before the uh, high priest, Ananias. Comes before Ananias. John 18, 19 through 23. We'll read John 18. Verse 19 says this, The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. And Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple where the Jews always resort. And in secret have I done nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask them that heard me what I have said unto them. Behold, they know what I said. And when he had thus spoken, one of the officers stood by, stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand and, and said, Answers thou the high priest so? 
And Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you smite me? Do you see any rains there? No, no rains. Jesus' heart was pure. His intent was pure. He was just speaking the truth in love. And even when he got struck, he didn't strike back, but instead he continued to speak the truth in love. His motive was right. His heart was right. There's no reins in the situation because he's right. He's, he's been pulled to the right. He's going to the right. You don't have to jerk his head and beat him with a whip. He understands what's going on. So now let's look at Paul in a similar situation. Let's go to the book of Acts and let's look at chapter 23. Book of Acts, chapter 23. This is Paul. He's been arrested. Now they brought him before the high priest. And so when we get to chapter 23, we're going to read the first five verses. Are you there? I know you are because it's behind me, isn't it? There you go. <clears throat> Acts chapter 3. And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God unto this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then Paul said unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whitest wall. For thou saidst to judge me after the law, and commands me to be smitten contrary to the law. And they that stood by said, Revilest thou God's high priest? Then Paul said, I wist not, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. Do you see any differences in the response? What's Jesus' response? His response is in love. His response is in mercy. His response is in grace. What's Paul's response? You hit me, you whited wall. I'll come up there and bust you in the mouth. <laughs> Isn't that kind of what he said? How You whited wall, you set to judge me, and you command me to be smitten, contrary to the law? But as soon as he realized it was God's high priest, what happened? The reins pulled back. He said, whoa, I'm sorry. I didn't know he was God's high priest. So you see how that works? Heart, the motives, and the reins. Okay. Anybody have any questions? Everybody good? What time is it? 8.16, we're good. I do better without a watch. <laughs> so, as I continued to study this, <clears throat> I was thinking about the horse and the pulling on the reins and the double pulling on the reins and then the whip part. And it just so happened that I came across Proverbs chapter 27, chapter 20. So let's look at Proverbs chapter 20. Proverbs chapter 20. I love the way that the Lord, as you're studying and as you're meditating and as you're thinking about what you've read and as God sends you to do a study, I love it how the Holy Spirit will move you between Old Testament, New Testament, book to book, scripture to scripture, how God puts the whole thing together. This is, this, is, this is not my doing. This is what the Holy Spirit led me through, just like he'll lead you through. And, and he, when I was thinking about the horse, God brought me here to Proverbs 20, and here's some verses, Proverbs 20, 27 through 30. Listen to this. The spirit of the man, what is that called? That's the heart, right? The spirit of, the, of man 
is the candle of the Lord searching out all the inward parts of the belly. Mercy and truth preserve the king and his throne is upheld by mercy. The glory of young men is their strength and the beauty of old men is their gray hair. So this makes me pretty. 30 says, the blueness of a wound cleans away evil, so do stripes the inward parts of the belly. And as I read that, I got to thinking, I don't know what that means. So I started studying it, and here's what I found. If you come along with me here. Verse 27, the word inward parts is the word H-E-D-E-R, and it is a compartment or a room which afford privacy or a place to hide. The word belly is bitten, and in wisdom literature, which is what you're in, that's wisdom, Proverbs is wisdom literature. So in wisdom literature, betten expresses the deepest recesses or the seat of desire of an individual. The spirit of man is expressed by three elements, communion with God, conscience, and spiritual intuition. These things are the elements of enlightenment, the candle of the Lord. So what did that verse 27 said? The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. What makes up the spirit of man? Communion with God, conscience, and spiritual intuition. Those things are the light that this verse is referring to. Are you with me? Those things are the light, which compares motive with actions. The constant comparison of actions against the pure standard of the spirit of God keeps one moving forward as the Lord, as under the Lord, keeping the soul, the mind, the will, and the motions in check and one's deeds pure. That's from the spiritual man by an author named Watchman Nee. So we find here that verse 30, it says, The candle of the Lord, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, searching all the inward parts of the belly. So the spirit of the Lord, the mind, I mean the communion, the intuition, and the uh, conscience, those things are constantly searching the, in, the deepest recesses and seats of desires of an individual. So those, the spirit of man and spirit of God, that should be working together. It should be, you know, God should put a deep desire within you to, to do a good deed, to say a good word, to, to get involved in his word, to pray the prayer of faith. God's constantly moving those things through the communion and the, and the, the parts. And that's, the, that's that candle of the Lord that's constantly moving within, a, within the spirit of man to, to do what the Lord's will is to do. To, to, to say to somebody, silver and gold have I none, but such as I had give I thee, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Why did they do that that day? Why didn't they do it the other 30 years they went by there? Because that candle of the Lord's now moving in their spirit. That candle's now moving. And that candle is enlightening areas that God wants to be enlightened. Okay, so um, the, the, next, the next, though, I understood that what that verse meant. Then verse 30 says this, the blueness of a wound cleanses the way evil, so do stripes the inward part of the belly. So, if you turn to the second page, the word stripes, M-A-K-K-A, has four main nuances of meaning. A blow or strike received in a beating or whipping, a wound often brought about by the blow of an enemy, a plague or an affliction, or defeat where people, a defeat where pe of people, it should be of people by slaughter. That is the four definitions of the word stripes. So we're not talking about, we're not talking about, we're talking about some pretty serious stuff here. 
This is, this is a blow or received as a beating or whipping, a wound brought about by the blow of an enemy, a plague or an affliction, a defeat where people by slaughter. So um, that stripes the inward part of the belly. So when you put those two, two together, the blueness of a wound cleases away evil, so do stripes the inward parts of the belly. Do you see the two stages that I described to you of turning a horse? If he won't turn, what do you do next? You grab both reins and you jerk his head. The blueness of a wound. Something that hurts when you do it. Something that you receive pain from. Something that you say, ah, man, I shouldn't have done that. I, if, you've ever, if you've ever kicked your little toe on the bed frame at night as you've walked by, then the first thing that you say after you say, ah, I can't believe I did that. The next thing you say is, I'm not doing that again. Why? Because it's the blueness of the wound. It's the pain that you endured by doing that. You're not going to do that again because it hurt. And that's what the first thing the Lord tries to get us to understand is whenever he's trying to do motives, then we should listen because, first of all, it's going to hurt. You're going to get a bad report. You're going you're gonna, to, you're gonna, like Paul, you're going you're gonna to receive, uh, you're going to lose your witness. Something's going to happen that's going to be painful to you. It's the blueness of the wound. It's a bruise. It's a bruise that shows up in your spirit, man, that you say, oh, that was dumb. I shouldn't have done that. That Man, that hurt. I'm, I'm not doing that no more. But if you still refuse to listen, what time is it? 8.23, seven minutes. If you still refuse to listen, if the blueness of the wound, have, have you ever, have you ever, you know, I, I, when I was in high school, they used to give licks. And there was a guy in our class, and since we're on Facebook, I'm not going to tell you his name. Because he, he, I don't think he's watching, but I mean, it's, but, but he used to get licks every day. Almost every day, he'd go out in the hall and get licks with a board. And I thought, what in the world? I mean, I got licks once or twice, and I pretty much learned I don't want to do that no more. But he went out there almost every day. And one day, the next door teacher comes in our room, which I had a male teacher. The female teacher comes in our room, and she says, I want you to beat the snot out of this kid. And he did. And he put blue on him. <laughs> Didn't help. A couple of days later, as soon as the blue went away, he was right back at it again. And sometimes we're like that. When the Lord says, stop doing that, we say, but I don't want to. You need to quit doing that. I don't want to. <laughs> Boom. It causes you pain. Somebody finds out about it, you get embarrassed. Somebody, somebody... Tell something you said, and you say, well, maybe gossiping about something, and somebody tells something you said, next thing you know, you got to apologize to everybody. It's the blueness of the wound. It hurt bad enough that you should not want to do it anymore. But over time, you find out, you know, I think I'll do it again. And you start, you get back involved in it because you're not crucifying it. You're just kind of subduing it. Are you with me? So the reins, the reins are being pulled. God's trying to stop. He's got you now, and he's pulling your head over, and you still won't listen so what does he do next? Stripes. Stripes. So, in closing, this is what I got out of this. The process of the Lord to try the reins and draw back man from a deceitful heart, which is our verse we started with, Jeremiah 17. After the lamp of the Lord has exposed an, an impure motive, 
if the saint persists, then the blueness of a wound seems to speak of a painful bruise, something that makes an impression such that changes are made to prevent this from happening again. If the man persists after the bruise is inflicted, then the Lord begins to apply stripes in love and mercy. He allows, even presses these methods of internal and external controls to keep the soul and the spirit directed toward him and away from the inherent deceitful and wicked heart of man. Heart and reins. The heart of a man is, is naturally deceitful, but the Lord uses reins to pull man back, to, to cause man to change. He uses a candle to search out the inward parts of a Christian man to expose the motives and the things that he's supposed to do. And then as he begins to move with the wrong motives or make wrong directions, then the Lord pulls back with reins. And if we not listen, don't listen, then he puts a bruise on us. And then if we still won't listen, then he whips us with stripes. Now, I don't know anybody that's actually got stripes, but I do know people that have lost their jobs and their marriages have fallen apart and they've got into real bad financial situations and things have just not gone their way. And as soon as they repent and get their life right, then God starts putting that stuff back together. Are you familiar with that ever happening? That's blueness and stripes. So that is my Bible study on Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. Anybody have any questions or comments? Wow. I'm always amazed at how good a job I do every week. <laughs> All right. Stand with me if you would then. Thank you for being here tonight. I pray that the Lord has blessed you. Pray that he's helped you. Yeah? Yes, ma'am? High five. High five. Was that a good motive or a bad motive for me to say I'm, I'm so good at this? <laughs> you felt some reins being pulled? <laughs> so there you go. All right. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord God, for your direction today, God. Thank you, Lord God, for this Bible study, Lord, that you have given to us, oh God. Thank you, Lord God, for helping us to understand one more thing, Lord God, that you, of how you work within our lives, oh God. Thank you, Lord, for revealing the word to our eyes, O oh God, for all things are of you, by you, for you, and through you, O oh God. And we give you praise tonight, O oh God, for your word, the intricacy and the beauty of your word, O oh God. Oh, Father God, I thank you so much for this wonderful book, Lord, that is in the, it defines between the thoughts and discernments of the heart, O oh God. And Father, I just praise you tonight, O oh God, for the opportunity to get to, to teach your word, Father. I pray, God, that it's gone deep within our hearts, Lord God, within our minds, Father God and that we've advanced in you tonight, Father. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for this congregation. Bless them, keep them, prosper them, anoint them, empower them, God, to do your will and to do your way, O oh God. In Jesus' name we pray for your glory. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We will see you Sunday. Receiving members Sunday morning, so if you've never been a member and you want to join the church, then see me Sunday morning, 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock.